Take two parts historian, one part activist, three parts teacher, and four parts fashion guru, and you will end up with a potent blend called Brahma. Brahma is a man of many talents who thinks on many levels. He was born and raised in Trinidad by a Trinidadian mother and a Jamaican father. Having parents from two different countries contributed to his understanding of the Caribbean, its people, and its culture. What added to this was the fact that he had the opportunity at a young age to travel. Brahma was not only a Biwi baby, but was a decorated swimmer for Trinidad and Tobago's national team. Brahma would go on to Howard University to study engineering. He became a teacher in Washington, D.C. He admits that while it was his job to teach his students, he soaked up many lessons from them. His students inspired him. The true understanding of African people developing new cultures through the lens of slavery and colonization in the Caribbean, North America, and South America started to intrigue him more and more. Brahma, an already avid reader, began to read voraciously about the movement, culture, and general history of all African people. He expanded his studies to other ethnicities as well. Though Brahma always had a love for history and culture, there was another passion that he would not begin to fully explore until recently. In his teens and early twenties, he remembers having a love for styling himself, particularly when it came to sneakers. Years on, Brahma is one of the founders and creative director of Third World Famous. Third World Famous is a clothing line that merges fashion with the cultures, history, and style motif of Third World countries. Brahma's vision for Third World Famous is enormous. With his drive and knowledge, there is no stopping him. These are just a few parts of the Brahma blend, and this is the story, thus far, of Brahma. I am Crispin Brooks. And this is Planet 30. He is everyone's resident historian. He is a teacher and he is a fashion designer. Brahma, welcome to Planet 30. Blessings, Christmas. Glad to be here. Glad to have you, my brother. Glad to have you. Now, you were born in Trinidad and Tobago. What does Trinidad mean to you? Trinidad is home. Trinidad is, you know, place of place of my birth, you know. This is where at least part of my lineage comes from. The other part would be uh, Jamaica to my father's side. So, you know, Trinidad will always be my place for inspiration growing up in in trinidad you know it's a cultural and ethnic melting pot tell us a bit about how that has influenced you as a person wow so yeah i mean trinidad has so many different ethnic groups you know from african indian uh lebanese syrian chinese you know european that you know and plus we're on an island so you know space is limited that forces people together physically right so it's impossible to not interact with people from other ethnic groups and therefore um, learn their cultures right when you're in school sitting down next to someone 
you know, who doesn't necessarily look like you, you know, you're forced to learn about them. So I think that greatly Im- impacts um, me as a Trinidadian and probably most Trinidadians. Mm-hmm. What is it that Trinidad has seemed to have gotten correct? I'm not saying that discrimination and racism, um, those things don't exist in Trinidad. Um, they do. However, as a whole, Trinidad seems to sort of get it right where people, for the most part, get along. Yes, um, I agree. So I think what I would give Trinidad credit for is that, you know, they have ensured to celebrate all those different ethnic groups, right? So I mentioned them um, earlier. And I think, you know, we learn about each other in school, in the curriculums. You know, most of the ethnic groups have some sort of a holiday, whether it's a religious holiday, you know, um, from the East Indians, you know, we would have things like Diwali, Festival of Lights, um, which comes from, you know, Hindu, um, the Hindus. Um, then also from Islamic culture, from the Indians, we, we celebrate things like Ramadan and Eid al-Fatur, you know. So I think because, you know, the country has made sure to celebrate the different ethnic groups, holidays and festivities from the African culture, we have things like Shouter Baptist, you know, we celebrate Emancipation Day and stuff. And I think that helps to bridge some of the gaps because when you think of other countries that have a bunch of different ethnic groups, a lot of the time those ethnic groups are actually killing each other and there's violence towards each other. So we have our problems, but it hasn't um, descended into that sort of a debauchery and hopefully it never will. Mm-hmm. Well said. And part of your upbringing, not only experiencing different ethnicities and cultures, uh, in your own home country, you traveled as well. Tell us a bit about your travels as as a young, uh, as a child, and and as a teenager. Uh, of course, you had the privilege of uh, the BWE Pass. Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, my mother was a flight attendant with the national airline at the time, which was BWIA, British West Indies Airlines, and um, so. You know, people who were children or spouses of flight attendants or pilots, they were afforded with um, the opportunity to travel for free, right? So those people were called Bee-wee Babies. So I was a Bee-wee Baby. I was lucky in that regard. So wherever that airline flew, I had the chance to fly for free. So, you know, I've been to Europe and North America and, um, you know, all over the Caribbean. But also I was a national swimmer. And that also afforded me many opportunities to represent Trinidad and Tobago all across the Caribbean and in North America, Venezuela. I've been to many Caribbean nations through swimming. I'm not sure if it happens now in today's day and age. However, you guys would stay with host families uh, when you travel to swim. Uh, What was that like? Just not just going to swim, but actually learning a bit of the culture from families. What was that like? Yeah, it was interesting times. So, you know, I can recall that I went to Curacao. Curacao would be one of the um, islands in the Netherlands, um, um, Dutch Antilles, I should say. And I made a national team and we had to, each swimmer had to stay with different host families. Now, sometimes some families took in more than one swimmer. So, you know, you were, if you were lucky, you might have been um, hosted with another person from your country. But in my case, I wasn't. I was by myself. And I remember coming off the plane and coming into the airport lobby area, I should say, and seeing my name on a piece of paper held up by someone. 
and you know I'm assuming this person has my name because I'm supposed to go with them but you know I was probably about 11 years old at the time you know so I'm young I'm still very um, intimidated by certain things and um, you know so it was a bit of a, an experience to go with this stranger but that person um, actually drove me to the host family and you know meeting people who didn't speak English they speak I believe it's Papimento Papimento yeah in um, in Curacao and so you know you kind of I mean they spoke a little bit of English I think but for the most part they didn't you know so it was it was it was interesting you know it was interesting it was it was different I was lucky that that host family um, their children were around the same age as me and were also taking part in the international swimming competition so I guess we were able to kind of bond on that level um, from the sport level but yeah it was it was um, it was different it was strange but I think I'm fortunate to have those opportunities or experiences because it opens you up, right? It opens you up to a whole new world. And as you mature and get older, you're um, you're not as intimidated or scared to experience new things because you've been doing it from such a, a young age, I would say. Now, you were an avid swimmer. Uh, won titles, from what I understand. What, yes, is, what are some of the uh, lessons you've taken away from uh, being a competitive swimmer? Um, discipline goes a long way. Discipline and sacrifice goes a long way. So, you know, as a seven, eight-year-old who had to wake up and go jump in a cold pool at five in the morning and, you know, train till seven, then shower, eat breakfast in the car on the way to school, do seven hours of school, then leave there, go back to swimming or to the gym or, you know, some athletic training ground to, to work out. You know, you're doing that at a young age. It, it instills discipline in you, discipline that I still employ to this day as an adult. So I sacrificed a lot between the ages of eight years old, seven years old to about 16 years old. A lot of times when my friends were hanging out and I wanted to hang out, I couldn't because I had obligations or maybe I was leaving the country to go represent Trinidad and things like that. But, you know, so as a youngster, that was kind of hard to because sometimes you don't see the big picture. But as I got older, I was so grateful for those experiences because one, I've served my country. And the greatest thing you can do is serve your country, right? So I've won gold medals for Trinidad and Tobago up and down the Caribbean. You know, it's a great feeling to um, stand up on a podium on the number one spot. You know, you bend down, they put a gold medal over your neck. They raise your country's flag to the highest pole. Everyone stands and then they play the national anthem of your nation, all because of the efforts and sacrifices that you made prior to that event. You know, it's a it's a great feeling. What was the dream once you had matured into um, your teenage years? What was the dream to leave Trinidad? Was it to stay? And professionally, what was the dream? Wow. Um, if I'm going to be honest with you, Crispin, I would say I, I didn't know. I honestly didn't know um, at that time. You know, swimming was my life for so much of my life as a youngster that when I was sort of finished with swimming and I didn't pursue swimming in, into college years, 
that it was sort of like a a, a, a rebirth for me right I was living a life without that obligation to sport without that obligation to, to something else and I was just trying to figure things out what would I study and major in in school would I want to leave Trinidad and you know to do those things I was honestly so trying to figure those things out but you eventually did leave Trinidad Yes. And um, attended university in North America. Mm-hmm. And, of course, um, shameless plug, graduated from the illustrious Howard University. I did. <laughs> H-U, you know. <laughs> H-U, you know. And then you decided to become a teacher. What was it like teaching in a different culture? Not just in, in terms of, um, you know, the American versus Trinidad in the Caribbean element, but the school system that you came up in would have been the British school system, and here you are having to teach in the American school system. Tell us about some of the differences and some of the things learned. Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, Trinidad being a former British colony, you know, they implemented a British-style education, right? So that's what I grew up in, a very well-tested culture, things like common entrance at 10, 11 years old, then on to CXC, exams for the Caribbean Examination Council at around 15, 16 years old. If you do well, then you go on to advanced level examinations at 17 and 18. You know, we were a well-tested culture in the British Caribbean. And then I came to the United States Mm -hmm. and their big exam was SATs, Mm -hmm. which is predominantly at the end of the student's, um, you know, career, if you will, right? Um, Secondary level education. It's at the end. So the students weren't well tested throughout elementary or primary level and middle school level the way that we were in the Caribbean, right? So that's one of the first things that I noticed. And that also led me to realize that because we were so well tested in the Caribbean, the discipline, right? The regimented style of learning was very different to say in the United States. So, one of principally what I realized is that in the Caribbean, they drilled things into us. Right? They didn't really, um, they didn't really employ why do we, why are we doing this, but just do it because that's what you're supposed to do. Then, when I came to the United States, I realized the, the teaching style here was to ask questions. Right? To ask why something was like this. So, for example, you know, in Trinidad, they would tell you, oh, why is it A squared plus B squared equals C squared? And they will say, well, Pythagoras said so, (laughs) right? Whereas in America, a student asks that question, the answer would be, well, let's try to figure out why Pythagoras said so. So that was some of the, one of the things that stood out to me in the teaching style was that in the Caribbean, in the British Caribbean, they use discipline and militaristic style of teaching to drill the answer into you. And they, I think the assumption was that once you get the answer, then we can figure out why it was. But let's just get to the answer first. Whereas in America, it was more philosophical. Why are we doing this? And I think in the American style, it engages the student a bit more because the student now is trying to figure out why it is they're spending time on this particular subject or topic, right? And that that breeds interest in a way that I feel that um, the British way of doing things didn't, right? It was almost more punitive. Like, you don't learn, if you don't drill this and learn this, there is a consequence for it. Whereas the American style was like, 
we want you to be interested and enthusiastic about learning. So I think if you're able to bridge the two, you have the perfect style of education. Indeed, the British do drill things into you. And um, the, nice. the, the testing style, the styles are so varied because I know the SAT is mostly multiple choice. In the British system... Right. You know, it's essay, it's short answer questions, it's it's multiple choice. Oh my goodness, yes, 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 yeah. yes. So true, so true. Tell us specifically about teaching within um, African-American communities. Because although you are a, a black man and coming from African descent, there are cultural differences. So tell us some of the things you had to adjust to in terms of even uh, interacting with the students and their, and their parents. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, I learned that difference really as a teacher. Now, you know, being a teacher in Washington, D.C., which is a predominantly black American city, it was known to be called the chocolate city, mm-hmm. right? You know, being a black person, but a black person of different origin, you know, it puts me in a very unique situation because people see me, they assume that I'm black, meaning black American. But then when I speak, they realize that I'm not. Okay. So um, one of the cultural things, differences that I learned right away was when coming up as a student in Trinidad, right, I never knew what my teacher's first names were, right? They were Mr. Brooks. They were Mr. Brahma, Mrs. So-and-so, right? And when I came to the United States, you know, um, at the time that I was started teaching in the year 2005, 2006, uh, you know, there's email, internet is prominent, you know, we're sending emails to parents and emailing homework to students, and they would see things like my first name on the email, right? This, the, um, the assigned school email that I was given. And, you know, students would make jokes in class, you know, mentioning me by my first name, things that I would have never done when I was their age, right? So that level of comfort that they had in feeling like they could do things like that was very interesting to me. But what I learned, what I realized was that for my particular group of students coming from the African-American community, they had been disappointed so much in their school career in terms of high student, I'm sorry, high teacher turnover rates you know, their teacher being fired in the middle of the school year or the teacher quitting in the middle of the school year, that these kids had become, um, what is the word I'm looking for? They had become suspicious, mm. for a lack of a better word. They had become suspicious of, of teachers. They don't know if I'm going to stay for the whole year. They're, they don't trust easy, easily, Right. And so, you know, one of the things I realized is that I had to connect to my students on a personal level. Now, I realized that after about the first year and a half to two years of teaching, I realized what's the disconnect that I'm having with my students. And once I was able to figure it out, I changed my method. So on the first day of school, you came to um, Mr. Brahma's class. The first thing I would introduce myself, I would give them my first name and my last name. I would tell them my age. I would tell them where I was born, um, what year I moved to the United States, what college I attended. I, I gave them a, a peek into my personal life. And that is how I started my, um, my uh, tenure with them as their teacher. Let them get to know me as an individual. Because unfortunately, for whatever reason, the students felt like 
they were doing the work for me and not for themselves. And I realized that and I understood as a teacher that I alone couldn't change that um, way of thinking for them, but I needed to take advantage of it so that they can get the best out of me as a teacher. So if it took them to know who I was as a person so that they can feel comfortable and their trust level is there, so therefore they can then apply themselves to the fullest, then that's what I did. Whereas if I was a teacher in Trinidad, I would have never told them my age. I would have never told them anything personal about me because that wasn't on the menu in Trinidad. But in the United States, especially with the black American um, community, they are a disenfranchised group, unfortunately. So if you want to get the best out of them, if you want to give them the best, they have to know who you are as a person. The trust has to be there. And that is what I focused on, building the trust. And then all the other math and all the other subjects and topics we can get into. That's easy. That's what I'm here for anyway. But building that trust and making that emotional connection was important. And I can give you a specific example. I remember teaching my seventh grade math class one day. And I can't remember how this came up, but one of the students looked at me and said, oh, Mr. Brahma, you're not black. And I was like, huh? I had never heard anybody say that to me before. So I pulled the student up and I put my hand next to his hand. He said, I'm darker than you. And, you know, he started to laugh. He's like, yeah, but you're not one of us. And, and it then dawned on me what he really meant was that I wasn't black American. Right. right? And, he, and he wasn't wrong about that. But in their mind, they use the word black to represent themselves, maybe not understanding that other people of African descent outside of the United States also refer to themselves as black. I come from Trinidad where we have so many different ethnic groups. I definitely refer to myself as black. But once, once I was in another country, they looked at me by my nationality as Trinidadian. And so that difference there was brought to my attention and it gave me a better understanding once I, you know, experienced myself from one of my own students. Wow. Wow. Powerful. Powerful stuff. Now, you remained as a teacher for some time. And then you made, and then you made the leap into your passion, which happened yes, to be fashion. Yes, sir. <laughs> so tell us, when did you decide to take fashion seriously and really take your... Uh, the, the ideas swimming in your head and take them to the next level. When was that? Okay, so that would be circa 2014, I would say. So to give you some context, Crispin, um, my clothing brand, Third World Famous, right, um, has its origins in, in hip-hop music, in rap music. Uh, my friend, Seth Gaines, he passed on now, rest in peace. He was a rapper from Trinidad, and, you know, I was part of his crew. No, I wasn't rapping. I was just a friend. <laughs> right? And, um, you know, he, he, he named our crew Third World Famous. Right? And we started to do some of our earliest recordings as Third World Famous around 2003, 2004. And um, by 2006, we started to do videos, right, for those songs. And in those videos, we created um, T-shirts as promotional tools. And some of the designs on those T-shirts had our Third World Famous logo and the phrase that we also coined, Trinibad. So that was about 2006, 2007, we created those shirts for the, uh, for the videos. Fast forward seven years later, 
I thought that um, the shirts and the designs were really strong and I felt like they could live on their own as a clothing line. And so, you know, I spoke to Seth and I said, you know, I think um, I want to bring Third World Famous out as a clothing line. Whether the music goes forward or not, I think it can stand on its own in clothing. And so that was the first run. 2013-14 was about the first run of actually making um, the clothes with intent to sell. Interesting stuff. So you guys coined the... No, it was Trinidad... A, just a random word or was it used in a song or so so Trinidad the first time I ever heard the word Trinidad was by Seth and yes he used it in the song um, in a song called Ghost Town where he said uh, shoot down to Trinidad oh shucks I mean Trinidad mind you get your melon smashed dubs I got 10 on that so he used the word Trinidad to reference to the the, you know the crime situation that was going on in the country at the time and still unfortunately exists to today wow so the term has been around for quite a while yes at least since i would say about 2005 interesting interesting now merging fashion with your other passion which is history because third world famous has uh overtones of of being a very conscious uh yes. clothing brand uh, and being in a very intentional clothing brand. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so um, the fact that you, you, re- you recognize that means that um, doing the right thing. Because, you know, I think, I think when you're telling a story, if you're able to pull elements from your own life experience, then that story is going to be as authentic as it can be. Because you're not making anything up, right? So, you know, as the name suggests, third world famous, it's, what are the things that are famous in the cultures of the third world people? In other words, what are what is well known or practiced in this culture that may not be known outside of it? So if you think of countries like Jamaica to Costa Rica to Colombia to Ethiopia to Philippines, there are a couple things that are common between those people, whether from geography to climate to past um, colonial histories, the huge um, influence of African culture on those said countries. Those countries live a similar lifestyle if, as opposed to comparing it to United States, Canada, and Europe, right? And so the name Third World Famous suggests suggest that this is a particular lifestyle that is popular here, but maybe not so well known outside of it. So me as someone who considers himself a history buff, this was a great opportunity for me to blend things that were personally important to me, history of African people, history, world history in general, with the motifs and designs in the clothing brand Third World Famous. Hmm. What? You know, why is history so important to you, though? Um, you know, that's, I have to pause and think about that for a second. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I think for some reason, history caught my attention. You know, it caught my attention. Um, I mean, I, could, I think the plight of black people in today's world also caught my attention. 
And once you start to study black people's plight, you have to go back into history to understand why things are the way they are today. So I grew up in Trinidad with a Jamaican father. So he was a foreigner in the country that I was born in and, and living in. And he would naturally compare himself as a Jamaican to the Trinidadian people. He would introduce me to Jamaican culture, Jamaican music, Jamaican history. So I first heard of, you know, Maroons from uh, my father, heard of activists like Jamaican activists like Paul Bogle from my father. I, I constantly heard reggae music in my house, in the car, you know, through because of my father. Uh, my sister, who was only a year older than me, was in love with Maya Angelou and her poems at a young age, 12, 13 years old. She had posters of Maya Angelou all over her bedroom, you know. So I had people around me who were Afrocentric. And I think to understand black people was to understand black people's history. And I think if I had to answer that question, I think that would be the connection there. Wanting to know about my own people led me back into their history specifically. And if you study African history, it's to study world history. Mm, deep, deep, deep. So now that we know the, about the name, the brand, the, the ethos around it, um, tell us about the clothing line itself. You know, what, what are your offerings? <laughs> okay, so great question. Um, the best way to uh, sum up Third World Famous is in three categories. Music meets fashion, history meets fashion, and Trinidad. So, um, you know, I mentioned uh, the Maroons before. I have a design called the original Maroon 5, and it's my best-selling design to this date. And, you know, it, it encompasses, uh, you know, Queen Nanny, Zumbi Dos Palmares, Dutty Bookman, Francois Mackendall, and Captain Cujo. And the idea was I took the Maroon 5 from the, uh, the band of Adam Levine, I took their font, and I put the word the original Maroon 5. And the idea is to, it's a sort of a job at Adam Levine and them to say, how can you call yourself the Maroon 5? Do you know how powerful that word is for certain groups of people, people who are here long before you and your people? And so it's a sort of a flip on the idea, right? And um, so that's a great example of history meets fashion. Um, and then I have Music Meets Fashion, where I've used um, popular songs in reggae music. And I have um, joined them with certain graphic uh, designs, like I took uh, the Rude Boy number from Cutty Ranks. It was inspired by him. And I put it in a chemistry element. So the Rude Boy and the Rude Gal is an, an actual element on the earth. And I used, instead of the, uh, I believe it's the isotopic numbers, I put 38, 45, 357 with the bullet point or with the period in front to represent the caliber of the gun, mm. right? And that was also, that Root Boy and Root Gal is also some of my best-selling designs. So there you have the music, right? The music meets in the fashion. And then the last one, as we mentioned before, is Trinidad which is obviously a play off of Trinidad. 
and that is also a great uh, seller for me. So most of my designs can fit somewhere into those three categories. Music meets fashion, history meets fashion, and Trinidad. How did Trinidad influence your style? Now, yeah, that's, I like that question, Crispin. Um, greatly. Greatly. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think about where I should begin. Okay, obviously Trinidad is a, a, a tropical country, right? So we only have two seasons, a wet season and a dry season. So in terms of fashion and things that people wear, it's never a sort of a, a, a situation of am I cold enough or uh, am I warm warm enough, am I dressed properly for the weather? You either need an umbrella or you don't need an umbrella. Right. Right? And, you know, so you would imagine light clothing, shorts, tanks, those sorts of things would be popular in our culture. We know that, you know, what they call the Jamaican vest, you know, the mesh, right? The mesh sort of vest and dress, tank dresses, those things are all, um, those things are all very fashionable where we come from. So, you know, when I was coming up, Trinidad was, had a very huge sneaker culture, right? Very huge sneaker culture. Your shoes were probably your most important part of your attire, right? And what I learned now is that even now, a lot of women would look at men's shoes first, right? Yes. It's something that people notice. So a lot of the times people would dress from the bottom up. So I, I decide, okay, I want to wear these shoes or these sneakers or this particular footwear. Now, what goes with that footwear? Well, what shirt do I have to match with this? What shirt do I have to match with it? What pants can go with this? Um, and so I think that's an important thing to start with. So sneaker culture and footwear culture in general is very huge in Trinidad. And if I can just, you know, give a couple examples, you know, in the 80s and 90s, shoes like Travel Fox and <laughs> any type of Clarks, Wallabies, Desert Boot, Desert Track, uh, Desert Trek, sorry, Bally's, Buffalinos, Giuliano's, uh, uh, World of Troop. Elise, these were the shoes. Of course, yes, Nike and Reebok, Adidas, Puma. All those were the shoes that people um, would would wear. But I think the important part here is to understand as countries like Trinidad and quote-unquote third world countries, we tend to import the best of the best from different countries. So, if, for example, if you're in the United States, then Nike is the holy grail for you, Right. But when you live in a place like Trinidad as a former British um, colony, then yes, British shoes like clocks and stuff would be... Viking. Would be, yes, would be some of the holy grails. But also understanding that Britain is part of Europe, we also would get an influx of the European shoes like the travel fox and stuff that come from Italy, the Giuliano, Giuliano's and Buffalino that also come from Italy. So because um, we're in a position where we're not necessarily manufacturing a lot of those goods ourselves we tend to look at the entire world as a whole and pull the best from different places so that has increased our knowledge of different brands and types of clothing that we would want to wear and i think that influences trinidadians and people in the caribbean as a whole hugely right then we also have rastafari culture which comes from jamaica but clearly influences the entire caribbean mm -hmm. so red gold green or anything khaki right you hear the rasta men and the rasta artists talking about um my khaki suit right so the idea of wearing that 
sort of a military style of dress, right? You know, Haile Selassie being the leader of the Ethiopian army, you saw him in military dress a lot with the medals and the ribbons hanging. That idea and that style has influenced the Caribbean and Trinidad as a whole, right? Um, so I think that's important to mention. And then if I can come back to the climate a little bit, because it's hot a lot, we tend to wear shorts. Or when we wear long pants, we tend to roll them up, right? We might roll up one pants leg. We might roll up both pants legs, right? Um, another thing I noticed is that as a particular style in Trinidad, we would wear things that necessarily didn't match together. So in terms of aesthetics, so you might wear a Clark's boots, like a, a Desert Trek, would, what would be considered a dress shoe in America, but you might put that on with some football shorts or an Adidas track pants and you roll it up, you know? So mm. on, on first look or on first sound, you'd be like, well, those things definitely don't go together, but that's a specific Caribbean style. That is a style that I definitely wore in Trinidad and influenced me greatly. You know, you, you, you sort of don't realize how the pieces fit together until you dissect. It's very yes. interesting stuff. Indeed. Now, coming up in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s, tell me, so who were some of the designers or brands that uh, that you liked during those eras? Okay, so in Trinidad, um, Trinidad local designers were um, like Radical Designs. You had um, Mei Ling, who is a very popular, she's a Chinese Trinidadian um, designer who's still very popular with her designs. You had Claudia Pigas, another a black Trinidadian designer she's still very popular today i would say um peter elias brand. sorry no i said peter elias peter elias yes um there was a brand from barbados called irie blue mm. and i remember irie blue being very popular in trinidad i definitely would buy irie blue in the mall and their designs were you know were great were great so um but just like most countries in the Western Hemisphere, we tended to look to the United States for a lot of our stuff, a lot of our products. And in my time, you know, the black American designers were having their day. You know, brands like Cross Colors and Carl Kanai, Fat Farm, Sean John, Rock Aware, those black designers and those black brands were having their moment in the sun. And it definitely influenced and trickled down into the Caribbean as well. Indeed. And I, and I specifically remember um, the influence obviously being through music a lot of times, uh, BET. Yes. And everybody's mother uh, read Ebony and um, Jet Magazine. And, and then I think that would lead um, the supermarkets to bring in even more uh, African-American publications. So Black Beat and Right On uh, would have uh, the Carl Kenai in Cross Colors uh, ads, full-page ads. And, you know, the influence would, would start to come from from from, uh, from the pages of the magazines. It's, it's quite interesting how both groups coming from African descent uh, influence one another. It's really an exchange. Yeah. It's like the snake um, swallowing its tail, right? But, you know, as you mentioned in publications, what, you know, what I was thinking is that in Trinidad, how much of a big deal it was just to have the magazines, 
Mm. source magazines and those magazines that you just mentioned they only sold them in like the sort of upscale like pharmacies bookstores and, and pharmacies and correct stores and super, it wasn't like just on the corner you couldn't just get it in the corner shop right whereas in america buying those magazines wouldn't have been such a big deal like anybody could get it but just to even be able to afford the magazine in trinidad and have access to it was a big deal Oh, it was definitely a Saturday trip with your parents. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, and uh, coming from an even smaller island, you know, we'd go over to St. Martin, and, and in St. Martin is where you'd get the real bulk of um, those publications. Right. Interesting times. We actually we actually had um, a bookstore in Angola, a national bookstore that sold, it, that sold some of those publications, but uh, sometimes right. to get others, you'd have to go to St. Martin. Who are some of the, st the style icons in music and media that you admired then and now? Wow. Um, from the Caribbean or just... Well, anyway? in general. It was Caribbean, the United States, Europe, wherever. Okay, so Carl Kanai was my favorite designer coming up in the early 90s. The jean suits. Well, not necessarily the jean suits per se. I mean, he had a lot of other pieces that I liked. Um, but... I, you know, I actually saw an interview with Carl Kanai in the 90s where he mentioned his Costa Rican and Panamanian roots. I just, I never knew that was part of his story. Another thing that really stood out to me is that he said he never sewn anything in a day in his life. Mm. I thought that interesting. I was like, oh, wow. So you can be a designer and not know how to sew. Now, obviously, being able to sew gives you an edge, but I just, that also stood out to me, right? So, Carl Kanai was somebody that I definitely uh, looked up to and, and still to this day uh, look up to. Um, other icons, there, there's so many that I, I'm really, I'm trying to think of my favorite um, musicians first and then I'm trying to think if I like what they wore. <laughs> so, um, Barrington Levy, who is one of my favorite artists, he's in one of my, my top five musical artists, he had a very unique style of dress. When I look back at the things he was wearing in the 80s, it's sort of that kind of Rastaman style where you don't really match, but because you're not matching, you're matching. Right. <laughs> and I know that's very hard to describe and it might be difficult for the, the listeners to understand because, you know, there's no um, visuals here. But, you know, if y'all can look up some of Barrington Levy's... Um, uh, shows back in the 80s, 85, 86, you would see, or even some of his videos like Broader Than Broadway, you'd see the type of hats that he wore. You know, there's a rude boy style. We mentioned the rude boy design earlier. There's a rude boy style that Jamaica has. We, are, we mentioned the khaki suit. There's a there's a particular blend that they mix. And I think Barrington encompassed that style um, really well. Um, so I like Carl Kanai, what he was doing as a designer. I like Barrington Levy, what he was wearing as an artist. And I'm kind of drawing blank, so I think I'll just stop there. Any Anyone nowadays that you sort of say, hey, I like, you know, male or female? Yes, yes. I do like, uh, I do like Fabulous and some of the things he wears. Um, I like the bravado of Cameron, the rapper from Dipset. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um you know, Cameron was able to like make pink cool and wearable for you know guys who consider themselves tough, or just any guy, honestly. 
you know. Um, so he he has a sort of a bravado in his style that I think is dope. Uh, but you know, I will mention that you know you can like someone's overall fashion aesthetic without necessarily liking everything exactly that they wear. So I might not actually wear the things that Cameron wears, but I like the idea of what he does and how he puts his style together. If that makes sense. Correct. Yeah. 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 Speaking of people whose fashion you like, tell us who is Warren Third World Famous? Oh, um, yeah, so let me start with my people. Um, Marshall Montano, number one soca artist from Trinidad and Tobago. He's, you know, he wore my Trinidad shirt in Miami Carnival. That was huge for us. You know, artists like Amara La Negra. She's been seen a few times in Third World Famous. Um, uh, comedian Afion Crockett also supports uh, he has Trinidadian roots, Otto Bolden um, world champion and Olympic medalist a couple times and commentator has, <laughs> and, com- and embassy commentator you can find in Olympics <laughs> this Olympics he has um, you know supported Third World Famous and won Third World Famous Angie Martinez, the voice of New York She's been seen in our Rude Girl sweatshirt, that Rude Girl design we mentioned before. Um, comedian Major Hype has worn our clothes in his skits and videos numerous times. Reggae artist Jesse Royal, he's been um, seen in our clothes. Barrington Levy, who I mentioned earlier, he has worn our clothes, you know, and um, many more. The, the mere fact that these persons are discovering and wearing Third World Famous, I mean, that speaks volumes to the designs and quality. Thank you. Any any uh, any plans to go beyond casual clothing designs? What do you mean by casual clothing? Well, I don't know. The third world famous formal suit, uh, you know. Oh, I see. I see. Um, or or traditional African suit made by third world famous. I mean, I mean, you know, brands brands evolve. You know, brands do evolve. You know, at this immediate moment, no, I don't have these. Um, um, uh, designs to or a design to make uh, you know blazers or suits or but I do have um, some ideas to create some other things like jackets and stuff um, not like sports coats but um, you know again it's sort of hard to explain without the visuals but um, no I, I, I plan to to follow a particular course if that makes sense mm-hmm now, I want you to talk about um, the discipline involved in becoming a designer and entrepreneur. Yeah, so it's it's not glamorous the way it seems on social media, right? Um, again, you know, I mentioned all those celebrities who who you know wore my clothes and continue to wear, it, and that's great for the resume. That's a good look for the outside world. But if those things don't translate into sales, if those things don't translate into actual movement for your brand, then it's all just for show. And again, those things look pretty and give the outside world the impression that you're doing great. But, you know, what a lot of people don't show on social media are the hard days. The days when they wake up uninspired, unmotivated to, um, to get up and grind. And I think that's the hardest part, you know. Um, the, that discipline that it takes to stay consistent and also understanding that even if you tried, you're not going to be 100% every day. 
but you still got to get up and give something. You still got to get up and give something because if you don't, you don't get paid. You know, it's that's the difference in a regular nine to five where you're getting paid every two weeks or, or once a month. Whether you put the 100% effort or not, more than likely your check is still going to come. Right. But in entrepreneurship, your check is directly correlated to the effort put in. So, you know, that's a great motivator, but that is also a lot of stress on, on, on a person as well because it's easy to become overwhelmed. So I know for me that I make lists and I make daily lists and I try to um, check off as many things on those daily lists so I don't get overwhelmed. You know, that's just some of the um, strategies that, that I employ to keep myself going but yeah it does take a certain level of discipline and i am grateful for those disciplinary lessons that i had coming up in swimming and in school and in trinidad that we mentioned earlier i think those things do help me in in my um in my career today mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, what are some of the difficulties um in producing a clothing line that young designers should perhaps look out for um, eventually, manufacturing. Manufacturing always, and, and that might seem obvious, well, duh, we got to make the clothes. But, you know, as, um, if we're speaking about black entrepreneurs specifically as well, you know, a lot of black, there aren't a lot of black-owned factories that you could just name off the top of your head, right? So, you know, uh, the other thing I would say is that information, information is valuable. You're not always going to reach or meet people who want to impart information because a lot of times they worked hard to acquire it in the first place. Nobody shared it with them. So you're not going to always meet people who want to share the information with you. And you and you got to figure that out. You got to either work to find it out or you get lucky enough to meet somebody who will um, share it with you. So, you know, there is, um, there is that. And then the other thing, of course, is capital. Right. Again, a lot of black entrepreneurs aren't necessarily starting off with a lot of initial capital. So, you know, you, you have to be smart with your money. You have to um, you always you should always be a student. So you should always be learning the intricacies of the business. And so once you're doing that, once you start to sell designs and make money, you say, OK, which part of my business do I want to reinvest this profit back into? Right. You, is it marketing? Is it production? You know, you got to be able to make those uh, decisions. Interesting stuff. Because a lot of uh, designers start out with great designs, great ideas, but they get discouraged as soon as they run into their first hurdle. Mm-hmm. Many of them so- sort of don't know sometimes what to look out for, you know? Yeah. So I think- the, your, 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 your point to information is very important. I think the other thing too that you'll probably learn as you go is sometimes you have a design, but you don't have the right, you have a great design, but you don't have the right type of manufacturing to execute it. Mm-hmm. And rather than doing it halfway, hold off on that design until you have the level of manufacturing that can execute it the way that it should be executed. Right. Any other advice for young designers? Um, never give up. Always be a student. Keep working hard. I know those are kind of generic, but they're but they're the truth. Mm-hmm. Brahma, what advice would you give to your twelve-year-old self? Is there anything that you would have changed along the way? No, I don't think so. 
because in the end, you know, if it all, I guess it depends on how you look at life. If life is a series of experiences, then no, you know, and life is also a series of paths. So each path, if you choose a specific path at a specific point in your life, that leads you down one particular road as opposed to another. And whatever paths that I took led me to the road where I'm doing the thing that I love. So I don't know if I took another path, if I still would have ended up here. But I know that the paths that I took got me here. So I would say no. Interesting. Interesting. Good answer. <laughs> what? Brahma, what is your favorite dish from Trinidad? I would say pilau. Pilau. Yeah, I Tell, would say pilau. For those that don't know what pilau is, can you describe pilau? Uh, pilau is uh, is a, what we call like a kind of a cook-up dish, right? It's an all-in-one kind of a pot, right? So you, it's a it's a rice dish with pigeon peas. Normally, it has some type of meat in it, like chicken, beef. Um, sometimes you would get uh, pigtail, what we call salted meat, right, or salt meat. And it's all um, cooked up in one pot. You caramelize the rice, and then you add the chicken and the peas in, and then you boil it down, you boil all the water out of it, and you get one big rice dish. So think of like a, a sort of a pepper pot, a jambalaya, um, a jumbo, that sort of a kind of a dish. Got it, got it. Who is your favorite artist from Trinidad? Oh, Crispin. Um, <laughs> or you can give me a few. Shadow, rest in peace. Um, my boy, Seth Gaines, rest in peace. That's it. Your favorite Seth song? My favorite, my favorite Seth song. Um, Levitate. Ah, I actually like it that song. found too. on YouTube. Y'all check it out. Uh, your favorite Shadow song? I said Dingolane, no. I think that's my favorite. <laughs> Dingle is if you have it, I really like Dingle. Um, I'll, go, I'll go with Dingle. I'll go with Dingle. <laughs> what is next for Brahma? What do you have on the horizon that's, that you're working on right now? So, I mean, immediately, right now, I'm, I'm working on my brand story. So, I've learned things along the journey, and I, um, I felt like I was kind of, as we say in Trinidad, spinning top in mud. So I was creating a lot of designs that were dope, but they were all over the place, and it wasn't in any cohesive manner. It wasn't in any collections. And now I have enough that designs where I can fit my pre the designs I've already made into those three groups I mentioned, music meets fashion, history meets fashion, and Trinidad. And so what I'm really working on is telling the brand story, letting people know what Third World Famous really represents. And so you will see a lot of uh, things going forward that represent the third world culture in general. So I've made things like playing cards with Trinidad and third world famous logo on it because card culture is so huge in, in our countries, right? I've created a figurative and literal fashion house to represent the types of housing that people live in the third world countries, right? What kind of house would the um, third world famous built, right? So those are these types of things that I'm currently working on, actual brand story and storytelling. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, Brahma, when you are 105 years old and you're yeah. on your rocking chair overlooking 
whatever body of water you chose to live by, and you look back at your story and you look back at what you've done and accomplished, what would you say is your ultimate goal? What is that thing that you'd like to say, I wanted to do that and I did that? That is an interesting question, Crispin, because I was actually speaking to a friend last week about what in the end I think would be my greatest achievement. And I had mentioned to her representing Trinidad all those times and all those national teams and winning gold medals and stuff. And then she said to me, she's like, don't sell yourself short. She's like, what you're doing now is great too. And I think I think she's right because, you know, the swimming, that's, it's, it's gone, right? I did it and it's gone. You're either there and you saw me win the race or you didn't, right? But, you know, things like clothes have a, has an actual longer, um, long-lasting effect, right? Like clothes can last years. I have um, shirts from that are 25 years old. I have sneakers that are even older than that, right? And, you know, with the help of social media and stuff, my brand and the things that I have put out into the ethos will, will live forever. And I think that will be my greatest achievement, that people will say uh, third world famous Brahma created a brand that nobody else from his region ever did and made an impact in the way that nobody else has has ever done. Now this is a segment of the interview where I strap on my spacesuit and I jump out into the atmosphere and I leave you on the planet alone. Brahma, the planet is yours. Say whatever you would like to the audience. Big up to uh, Planet 30. Big up to my brethren, Crispin. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, Crispin, I know you have uh, a wide listenership, and I'm grateful um, to that. I'm grateful to your audience. You all make sure you all check out thirdworldfamous.com. That is spelled with the number three, R-D, world famous, one word. Make sure you follow me on Instagram with the same spelling, at third world famous all right appreciate everyone and respect all right all right you kind of jumped the gun on me but my next question which is the most important is how do we contact you <laughs> well yeah so you know you can send me a dm on um uh my instagram page at third world famous you can email me at third world famous 868 at gmail.com i'm also on clubhouse at third world famous holla Ah, and you have two clubs on Clubhouse. I do, Trinidad and Third World Famous. He does, he does. Brahma, the brain and the creator behind the clothing line Third World Famous. We are excited and look forward to seeing what's next and, and what you're going to come up with uh, in the future. Thank you for being on Planet 30. Thank you for having me, Chris. And bless up, everybody. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of Planet 30. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at OnPlanet30. Like us on Facebook.com slash Planet30. Our email address is OnPlanet30 at gmail.com. That's O-N-P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y at gmail.com. For more information about Planet 30, visit our website planet30.com. That's P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y dot com.
I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30.